0: Coffee. how's everybody doing today this is Larry with morning coffee with Larry and I am glad that you have joined me today. I hope that uh, if this is well if this is your first time listening uh, welcome this is a podcast where I kind of wake up in the morning and share my thoughts and experiences and try to provide encouragement. Uh, as you face the day. on And I cover a variety of different topics. Some uh, center more specifically on mental health and others just on positive and, and productive and helpful living. Uh, if you are a return listener, thank you very much. Um, if there are ideas that you have for the show, please shoot them to me. I've got an email set up for this. It is coffee at LarryQuickSaw.com, and I'll put a link uh, well I guess it does, it's not working right as a link I have to figure out that part uh, but I'll put it in the show notes uh, so you can just copy that over uh, if you would like to send your thoughts or suggestions but uh, uh, yeah I appreciate you listening it's good to share a coffee with you uh, this morning Today, I would like to talk a little bit about believing that you can be well. Yeah, believing that you can be well. There's a lot of things that can hit us in life. And over my 30, well, coming up on 32 years working in the mental health field, I've seen a lot of different... Circumstances, situations, conditions, diseases that a lot of people believe are simply hopeless. That um, it's best to just give up or don't try. And I have never, never felt comfortable with that. I don't like that attitude. I don't like seeing that in my colleagues. I find it very, very frustrating. Because I do believe that you can be well. I don't mean that you can return to the exact state or condition that you were before something happened. You know, I don't believe in just um, blind wishful thinking. But I do believe that you can be well, be in a state of wellness, that you have learned to cope with anything that is permanent. And things that are not permanent, that maybe you believe are, can be modified, changed, or improved upon. And some people will say, you know, I've had a lot of people in therapy sessions say, well, you've never been there. And that's true. There's a lot of things I have not been through personally myself. But just because I haven't been through it personally myself doesn't mean I am not a witness to seeing it happen in other people. You know, if somebody, this is one of the things that I have told a few of my clients, you know, just because you don't have uh, the confidence in yourself right now, uh, don't give up. Borrow some of my confidence that we can make improvement, that you can be well. <clears throat> you know, a lot of folks, like when I used to do work, a lot of work in marriage and family therapy, there's a lot of times people are going through a divorce. And the, the marriage, I strive to try to reconcile marriages. I, I do not like divorce. I hate divorce. I understand why it happens, though. And sometimes we don't have a choice. And just because we don't have a choice doesn't mean I have to like it. But I've seen people become well after a divorce, even though the marriage wasn't reconciled. Let me just kind of back up a little bit and kind of share some of, you know, a little bit of my background. Cause, you know, if you don't know me personally, then you don't know my background really. Um, when I first started work in the mental health field, I worked in substance abuse, uh, specifically in prevention activities in the community. It was it was a it was a pretty fun, sweet job for somebody who was, you know, fresh out of college. But I also did a lot of work with the treatment therapist as well, especially the adolescent treatment therapist, Sherry. And so Sherry, if you're listening, hey, hi, how you doing? Um and there were people that they were so wrapped up in their addiction, and it had been really multi generational. You know, there were parents, there were siblings, there were grandparents. Actually, I'm working with a person right now where one of his struggles is virtually everybody in the family that he grew up in, and an extended family, are all alcoholic. And it makes it really hard for him to choose sobriety. Um, but I—I I, I mean, there were people that had been, you know, in and out of treatment for years and years and years, and you know, the the therapists, you know, some of the counselors, they were just burned out, and in in trying to help this particular person, and then something clicks. Something starts to make sense. There is a different kind of moment of truth, and the person starts to make improvement. The person starts to choose sobriety. They find something that that was kind of like that toehold for them to push themselves up with. The position that I had after that, I was a program director for all the services at our agency for the chronically mentally ill. And um, I guess now they they don't like that term. They prefer was it um, persistent, severe, and persistent mental illness. But the population that I was working with in uh, in around 1990 and a little after, these were folks that many of them had severe bipolar disorder, severe schizophrenia. These were folks that were in and out of state psychiatric facilities uh, for most of their adult life. They were warehoused in nursing homes. Um, They were warehoused in state psychiatric hospitals. These were people that were given up on. These were people that were virtually discarded by society. And the program that I had, we were taking, there was was legislation that was enacted in the late 80s to change the way that folks with these conditions were going to be receiving care. And there was a major push for deinstitutionalization. And so my program Provided small family size um, group home settings and very intensive community outreach. And again, these were people that were discarded. And when I left the program in 1994 to take a different direction, I was so proud. I was so proud of what the clientele and what the staff that I worked with accomplished, what, what they together did to help people get into the community, to get integrated into the community, not just in a sheltered workshop kind of setting, not just in a, you're in the community, but you're isolated from the community, but an actual integration in a lot of the, the, older staff that had been there for years were literally amazed and floored at the the state of wellness that these folks were able to achieve. And every now and then, all these years later, I will run into some of my clients. Maybe it's at, at Walmart. Maybe it is you know, on the street, or maybe I see them, there's a community festival and I run into them and they'll say hi and I'll say hi and we'll, we'll chat a little bit. And I'll say, you know, what are you doing now? And, you know, they have regular jobs in the community. Some have gotten married. They're stabilized in their, their, uh, with the symptoms of whatever the mental illness is that they have. They, they have, They have become well, and they believed that they could become well. And I guess that's because in our program, in helping them break free, we believed that they could become well. And it was, it was neat. And I could say, you know, that I'm sitting here smiling because, again, what do you believe? If you don't believe that you can overcome something, if you don't believe that you can be well, if you don't believe that you can make progress, you probably won't but if you do believe that you can. And again, I'm not talking about blind wishful thinking. You know, that that's borderline delusional. I'm talking about making progress, making having success. Not buying into the notion of just you just need to resign yourself to the fact, blah blah blah. Again, there's some things we can't change. There's some things that are going to happen, but that doesn't necessarily mean we can't be well. After I left that program, it's called Community Community Integration Services is what we named the program. After I left there, I went to work for hospice. And for those of you who are not familiar with what that is, it is a program that works with people who are terminally ill to help them and their families have comfort in several areas, including physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational to help them understand what is happening, to help them make peace, to help them prepare and take care of of end-of-life issues and allow them to die with dignity and to allow them to live life as much as they can to the fullest until this life ends. And I've had so many people that I bump into and we'll just, you know, start chatting a little bit. You know, they would say, you know, well, what do you do? And I said, Well, I work in hospice. And they'd say, That must be such a sad, terrible job. That must be so hard to do. I can't imagine that. It was like, it was one of the best jobs. It was one of the best opportunities. Yes, there were times it was overwhelming, and near the end it was becoming overwhelming, not because of the people, not because of the circumstances, but it was just the workload uh, that was taking place. There were structural changes that were happening inside the agency. But, no, it was being able to help a family that was sitting there trying to find some way to transition or didn't even know that they needed to transition. And and they were, you know, they were so feeling like they were, they were so helpless and hopeless that there was nothing, that this was just, this was just horrible. They were in shock, you know, you know, you're working on treatment for whether it's, you know, uh, congestive heart failure, whether it is cancer, whether it is, you know, end stage Parkinson's, end stage diabetes, you know, whatever it was, they they couldn't see around a corner. They didn't even know there was a corner. And going in and working with families and helping them to believe that they can be well yeah, the person is still going to pass away. They are still going to have to learn to go through and deal with the grief and the loss and the change in the family when this person does pass away, but they can be well. It is not necessarily a sad time. I have had some of my biggest laughs with people who were terminally ill, who were dying, who were able to believe that they could be well, all the way through their own passing. Yeah, I I, I heard, <laughs> I've heard some amazing jokes from people who were tired of being sad and tired of being depressed and tired of the grief, and they wanted to keep living, and they were going to live until they died. They believed they could be well. You know, there's uh, the past decade I've been working with uh, veterans through the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I remember a time where anxiety disorders were just believed to be something you have to endure and there is nothing really that can be done about it except see your psychiatrist, take medication that a lot of times, you know, has the potential for addiction in people. <laughs> And 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 the idea that well there there's just nothing that can be done, and I guess at that point in my life I had worked with different populations where I had heard that and I had seen the evidence that that is not the case, and I called bull. Well, actually, I shall add it on the second word, but you know I want this to be a family-friendly podcast, <laughs> but I called bull on it. I said, no, that's not acceptable to me. There was a fellow that I, I got to meet at a, a conference down in Nashville with the American Association of Christian Counselors. I'm trying to think of his name. Um, he had a particular program that he was selling at his booth in the um, uh, where all the vendors are at, at one of these conferences. And he talked about the notion of tolerable recovery. The idea that, you know, yeah, you can have recovery, but it's just going to be tolerable. And he did not like that term. He did not believe in that term. He said, I may not know all the answers, but I believe that the answers are out there. And we just need to, Identify, learn, discover them. And uh, that stuck with me. That stuck with me. Because, no, that's true. We don't know all the answers right now. But that doesn't mean they can't be identified. And whenever I started work with the VA, that was that was one of the, the struggles that I had was... The, the idea at that point in time that, you know, you just can't do a whole lot about severe PTSD. You can't do a whole lot about severe panic disorder, you know, uh, severe social phobia. Uh, you, you just can't. Well, if you listen to my podcast from yesterday, you know, I don't like the word can't. And I had been working in... With, with folks in my private practice uh, prior to starting at the VA, where I had come across some ways of looking at anxiety and ways of, of uh, treating it and guiding people through a process that was very, very successful, Uh, It kind of floored me because, again, when I got my master's degree, there was two things they said as we were studying what to do for anxiety disorders. And those two things were get them an appointment with a psychiatrist so they can be put on anti-anxiety medication like Xanax and teach them how to do deep breathing. That was it. That was it. I thought, boy, we don't have a clue. That was back around. Again, that was What year was that? 1990 at the University of Illinois. And that was basically what we were told. And in the years, early 2000s, I was making good progress. And so when I went to the VA, I knew that there were things that we could do to help those with long-term and severe anxiety. But I will say I was um uh, taken back by the severity that some folks have from long-term combat tours and situations where the anxiety is is hard to match in the civilian world it can be matched but it's it's hard to match at least you know from my experiences and i had to dig deeper because again i don't like tolerable recovery I don't like the idea of, well, this is just as good as it gets. I call bull crap, And so I started looking and looking at other avenues, trying to look through other people's eyes. I was looking through the eyes of, of a social work therapist. So I started looking through the eyes of how do, how do psychologists look at this? And then as I was doing more reading, then it was like, well, wait, there's a biology component here. How do people who understand biology look at this situation? What are the things that they see? Then I started looking at how do neurologists, what are the structures in the brain that are involved? Is the brain hard and fast and doesn't change? Or is there what we now know as neuroplasticity? Are there? Is the brain as a uh, dynamic organ able to make changes based upon what the person is experiencing in their environment as well as their internal environment? What about, you know, going back to intro to psych and learning theory? How does that come in and play a part in it? So I started looking at, you know, anxiety from all these different angles. And it was like, wow, if you take a 365 or 360 degree approach, you can start seeing more progress or more potential for progress and, and and success than what you did just having a, a single viewpoint, a single approach. You know, they, they talk about cognitive behavioral therapy as kind of like this marriage between cognitive theory and behavioral theory. And if you talk to, you know, your hardcore theorist, you know, The cognitive theorists, you know, will say, you know, no, you can't combine the two and the behavioralists are the same way. But, you know, most people try to utilize those combined techniques. And that's kind of what I'm doing, except I I look at where's more, where's more than just those two. And I've seen people start, once they understand, then they start believing that they can be well. And if they believe they can be well, they start putting into practice some of these different things. And they start doing what I have seen other people do. And they start to make progress. And what's what's amazing is when I see people who are, you know, um, in a very disabled state, after a period of time, they don't even meet the criteria for, you know, Anxiety disorders, you know, I've got several that they don't meet the criteria for PTSD anymore. And they had it very severe. They got to a place where they believe they could be well. And I guess what I'm saying is, don't you give up. I don't know what your issue is. I don't know if it's addiction, if it's family struggles, if there's people that have disappeared out of your family, disappeared out of your life, and you're left there holding the bag wondering, I don't know why I don't understand this. I I don't know if it is, you know, you're facing a, a severe debilitating illness. I met a person recently, um... To, to address just some, you know, just typical, you know, mental health type issues. It was anxiety. I'm, I can't even remember what it was. It was kind of, it was a mild thing. It'll be, we'll meet for a little while and then we should be able to make, you know, some good progress with it. But in the conversation, the person said, you know, I'm also terminally ill. And I looked at the person. It's like, mm, okay. When I hear terminal illness, I think of six months or less. Uh, you look pretty darn good, and you know it was not to that phase, that end phase of it, but uh, has a permanent, progressive, non-successfully treatable condition that, uh, based upon where he's at in it, he's probably got two to three years. And he's doing well, yeah, he has the condition, yeah, if it progresses as his specialists believe, yes, he will eventually pass away from it in you know sooner than later. but he he's well, he's living life. He's coming in to resolve a couple of few things because he wants to keep living life large, living life full. He believes he can be well, and I believe he's going to. He's going to live life well because I could just see the attitude in him. He's the kind of person that you know everybody kind of all the therapists kind of wish to have because they 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 make you feel good at the end of the session. Do you believe you can be well? Do you believe you can be better? Do you believe that symptoms can not have as big of an impact on you? If not, why not? What's getting in your way? If you're working with a counselor or therapist, do they believe that you can get well? Do they believe that you can make progress? Hopefully they do. But sometimes they can kind of get stuck in a rut also. And I've been in that rut. I'm not saying I haven't been. I have been. But believe you can be well. It opens doors that otherwise are closed. I guess the opposite of believe you can be well is believe I can't be well. And again, listen to yesterday's podcast. You know I don't like that word because it locks us in to where we're at. Believe you can be well. All right, that's it for today. Again, my podcast has been running long and I apologize. I know that, you know, need to keep them down shorter, you know, for your commute time or wherever you are when you listen. But thanks for listening. And if you do like this, please share it on social media. Um, You know, share it with your friends uh, if it's helpful. uh, most people who listen to this do so just linking on it through social media on the anchor.fm uh, uh, website. But it's also available as a regular podcast on all different kinds of, of um, podcast. Uh, what do you call them? The apps out there. you know, It's on iTunes uh, through the Google Play Store There's, I think, there's nine different places that this gets sent to for different podcasting apps. Um, But yeah, please share if you like this. Help me get the message out to others. As you see, you know, it's not. This is this is a free podcast. I'm not sitting here trying to hawk things. Um, At least, right? Not right now. Uh, I've had some people that have said, "Hey, could you put together some different things?" Uh, And it's like, yeah, I I can probably put together a few things. Actually, I'm working on one right now that's for folks with uh, 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 and families that are going through terminal illness. I've got some different materials I'm trying to put together. But that's not what this is about. This is not an infomercial. This is just me having a cup of coffee with you this morning. So good morning, and it's time for me to get out and take care of the livestock this morning. So you have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.